All right, so we are almost done with Genesis. It's been an exciting book. I've really got a lot from this study. Hopefully, y'all are getting something out of it too. And this last chapter, or the second to last chapter, chapter 49, this is a pretty difficult chapter. This is one I've always kind of, I've never felt like I fully grasped and understood. And um, I this study, some things that we've been paying attention to as we go through this book is kind of help put things in perspective to kind of help me, I think, finally wrap my mind around this chapter. So hopefully uh, you'll get something from this tonight and you'll realize just how important of a chapter this is. And I think one of the reasons we get confused on a lot of passages like this is, you know, when I say we, I just mean as Baptists in general, if you have your theology wrong in certain areas, it makes certain scriptures really difficult. And, um, you know, because of just years of not understanding things about Israel and all that kind of stuff, you know, it kind of made, you get the wrong idea about a lot of other passages. And so, uh, when you get your head screwed on straight with a lot of key things doctrinally, it helps everything fall in place. And so hopefully um, this will all be clear to you tonight after we get done with this passage, because it's real easy to teach weird stuff from this passage too, because it is very prophetic and you know, people can just kind of take things and run with it. But uh, we'll see what happens here as we go through this chapter tonight. But look at verse one, it says, and Jacob called unto his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. So when we see that first verse right there, it's real easy to just take this and say, God's not done with Israel, folks. I mean, this is for the last days. There's still some things that need to be fulfilled with Israel. And, you know, I will agree there actually are some things that need to be fulfilled with Israel. I agree. In fact, I think we see some evidence of that here in this chapter. But I don't think people understand uh, it, you know, what they're saying when they say some of these things and what they should be looking for. And they're looking for these things in all the wrong places. But here's the question we need to ask ourselves right now before we go further is what are the last days exactly that Jacob is talking about? And so let's look at some passages about the last days. And I believe it's the same thing Jacob's talking about here in, um, oh, I'm in the wrong spot there. Uh, look at uh, he, Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to look up some other examples where the Bible uses this term, last days, so we can kind of get an idea of maybe what he's talking about. And it says in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. Now, you need to notice here, because this goes into what we talked about Sunday night when we were in chapter 48. This is a prophecy to Judah and Jerusalem, okay? To Judah, who was the leader of the tribes of Israel. That was where the king was from, and that's where Jesus is ultimately going to come from. And this is a prophecy to them. It's talking about the house of the Lord being established. This is something that, so that this is something they're looking for in the future, something that they're wanting to happen for them as a nation. This is a good thing in the future. And it says in verse three, and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, 
Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more any more. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So I think everybody would agree this hasn't happened yet, has it? But when are we looking for that time when they beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks? That's in the millennium, right? That's something that's going to happen in the millennium. We see in Micah chapter 4, says basically the exact same thing. It says, but in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. This is talking about, for Israel, the house of the Lord is going to be established for them during that time. And you and I would all agree, this is going to happen in the millennium when Jesus Christ comes back. Then the house of the Lord is going to be established. Now, why is that important? Why is that significant? Why were they looking for that house of the Lord to be established? What they were looking for is they were basically looking for that time when they as a people would be established, when all these promises that God had given them would come. This was something that they were looking for, something that they were expecting as a nation. And they had a different mindset than we do today. Today, we just think about heaven, don't we? We just think about dying and going to heaven. You know, and in reality, what are we doing here on this earth? You know, we're trying to live for the Lord. We're trying to earn some rewards. We're trying to take as many people to heaven with us, right? That's kind of our mindset, and that's fine. Uh, that's as it should be. But understand, back then, when God uh, established that nation of Israel and God called Abraham, God did establish a physical people. He gave them a physical land, and they had God gave them a law. God gave them a priesthood so they could accomplish all these things. And one day, everything would be established for them, and they would basically, uh, you know, rule the world pretty much. That was something that they were looking for. But you and I know what happened. They kept failing. They kept messing up. They kept messing up, but... We also know that all those promises that God gave them to them will be fulfilled in Israel because guess who came out of Israel? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will do all, all the things that Israel couldn't do, Jesus Christ did. And what is still yet to be done, it will not be done by descendants of Jews today. It will be done by those who are in Christ, and it will be done mainly by Jesus Christ with uh, our help. And we'll say more about that as we go. But uh, so this is something they were looking for, this time when everything would be established for them. It says in Joel 2.27, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So this is something that Joel is prophesying about. And then in Acts chapter 2, it, it's quoting this passage, and it says, But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. 
And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what we're seeing here in this passage, this day that they were looking for, where uh, Christ or the Messiah was going to come, establish his kingdom, establish Israel, do all these things that they were looking for, that was something that was going to come, and it was going to come after the sun was darkened and the moon was turned to blood, but that was all going to happen in the last days. Okay? But understand that the last days, that's not just the tribulation. The last days is that new age that we entered after Christ. That new age where the law was done, where that Old Testament way of doing things was done away with when the new covenant came in. When, that, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and brought in that new covenant, we entered a new age. We entered the last days. And we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And, you know, I think we would all agree, you know, that, that's going on today. But you know what was going on in Paul's time, too? We see in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So right there, talking to Hebrews, talking to Jews, he's telling them in these last days, we are in the last days. Why? Because we've entered a new age. We've entered into a new era, and we've been in that era for 2,000 years. And one of these days, Jesus Christ, that day of the Lord is going to come. The day of the Lord is going to come in the last days. And we've been in it for 2,000 years. You say, well, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where there's any prophecy showing that it's going to take 2,000 years. Okay, scoffer, but there's also 2 Peter 3, 3 that talked about you that says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, these are coming in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. These last days are taking a long time. They've been taking so long that many people would say, I don't think Jesus is coming back. But you know what? The day of the Lord is going to come. Jesus Christ is going to come back one of these days. But I say all that to show you that the last days are here and have been here for a long time. And they started after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when the last days started. They started at, at, with Jesus Christ. Okay? So keep that in mind. That's important that we understand because this prophecy starts out with Jacob saying, he's talking about what will befall them in the last days. Not talking about Judah and Benjamin and Joseph and all of them, but talking about them as a people, them as a nation. Jacob's name is now Israel. The sons that he's talking to, they are the 12 tribes that, uh, that are going to be in Israel. And so he's talking to them as a people. What is going to happen to you is what he's saying. What is going to happen to you as a people? What are you to look for? Because understand They've been, they've been looking for a covenant. They've been expecting something for a while. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, we'll say more about that in a little bit. But so what we've got to understand about the 12 tribes of Israel 
is God's not done with them. Okay? I hate to sound like a dispensationalist for a second, but God's not done with Israel. God's not done with the 12 tribes. Look what it says in Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, that's that kingdom they've been looking for, ye also shall sit upon the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Has that happened yet? Have the 12 apostles been judging the 12 tribes of Israel? Obviously, they haven't. That's something that's going to come in the millennium. We also know, we looked at this Sunday night, that there's going to be 144,000 during uh, that final time, right after the day of the Lord, where we see 12,000 sealed from each of the 12 tribes, totaling 144,000. We see that in the Revelation chapter 7. That's something that is to come. But here's the question. Who are these people? Are they remnants of the 12 tribes that are scattered around the world today who have no idea what tribe they are in? But God's got it all sorted out. You know, God's looking at their genetic code and he knows if they're Issachar or Zebulun. And, and, I mean, do we really think there's any you know, pure-blooded Issacharites out there today? Nobody even knows if they are. The Kohans in the Jewish religion, they all think they're the Levites, and they're like the most pure-blooded ones, but uh, I, I don't really believe that either. Are they the remnants that are out there today, like many people teach, or are they the actual people that God gave the promises to but never received them but saw them afar off? What does it say in Hebrews chapter eleven thirteen, Talking about Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. You know what? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all expected an inheritance, an earthly inheritance, a kingdom, a country. God promised them one, and they all were looking for it. They expected it, but they also knew it wasn't going to come in their lifetime on this earth. So when would it come? In the regeneration, in the resurrection. And it makes sense that in uh, Revelation chapter 7, which is where I believe we see the rapture, we also see the 144,000. You know why? Because they're resurrecting and they're, they're fixing to get their inheritance. They're fixing to get what God promised them. Is, is what's one of the things that's about to happen. I believe they're probably setting some things up for the millennium. I'm not going to pretend I understand everything they're doing. But understand, there are some promises that need to be, are yet to be fulfilled to Israel. And because God promised Israel the, some, some things, people that were there in front of him, but they are all dead. But they're not going to stay dead. You know what they're going to do? They died in faith, and they're going to rise from the dead one of these days, and they're going to get what God promised them. It's not people calling themselves Jews today. It's people who have already lived that will resurrect. It says, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Is the them a people who are yet to come, or a people who are already here? The people who are already here. And you got a lot of clowns out there today, teaching that, nope, these promises are for people that are over there today in Israel that reject God. 
for a bunch of people over in New York with big bushy beards. Wrong. These are for them, people that were already here. They're coming back one of these days. And so understand that when Jesus returns, the resurrection will have taken place and it will be the actual people and the actual tribes that these promises were given to. They're not going to the synagogue of Satan. It's going to the people God promised them to. And so in the millennium, Jesus Christ is going to fulfill all the things that were left to be fulfilled in his word. Now, I'm not going to pretend I know what all those things are. Or I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know how it's all going to play out. But it will all be fulfilled. If you can prove to me that something has not been fulfilled that God promised in the Old Testament, then I would say, well, that's something that will be taken care of in the millennium. Jesus is going to take care of all that stuff. He cares about every detail of his word. Now, he doesn't care about all your bad interpretations that you've come up with, you know, to support your beloved Jews. Okay? God doesn't care about that. But he does care about what he said and what he meant and what the scripture means when it's rightly divided. And he will fulfill all those things. And so before we get into these prophecies, we need to remember that these people were looking for promises that had been given to them going back to Eden. And we have been looking at these things. We've been paying attention to these things. Hopefully you all been following this as we go through the book of Genesis. Throughout the book of Genesis, God has been revealing who and where the seed is going to come from. Because folks, It's not all about the Jews. It's all about the seed. And we all know who that is. It was Jesus Christ. Remember when God told them, the seed of a woman will bruise the head of Satan. And then we see God choosing Abel over Cain. We see Cain killing Abel. But then Seth comes along, God appointing another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. We see God choosing Noah. We see God choosing Shem. And then eventually Abraham We see God choosing Isaac instead of Ishmael. We see God choosing Jacob instead of Esau. And so now we're at Jacob, and he's got 12 sons. Where's the seed going to come from? Because again, folks, it's not about the Jews. It's about the seed, okay? Can you please get the dispensationalism out of your head for a minute? And as we look in these prophecies, stop thinking about Jews and start thinking about what they were thinking about start thinking about what God was talking about and start thinking about the seed because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a seed that's going to come and it's going to establish the kingdom. That's what we're looking for. So as we go through this chapter, be thinking about that, be paying attention to that. So let's look at verse 2. It says, Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up unto thy father's bed, and thou defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. And that's when Reuben defiled his father's concubine, Bilhah. That was a horrible sin. Now somebody tell me, what prophecy needs to be fulfilled in this passage? None, right? You know what he said? You're not going to excel. That already happened. Nothing needs to be fulfilled here, does it? Nothing needs to be fulfilled here. But... So does this leave any good thing in the future out for Reuben? No. Does it, you know, I mean, what does this have to do with the last days for Reuben? Reuben's got a tribe. There's a bunch of people from the tribe of Reuben. What does this have to do with the last days? And understand, when it comes to each of these prophecies, it's not so much about what is coming for each of those things based on what he said to them individually, but it's about what's coming for all of them and where it's going to come from and who it's going to come through. That's what we're looking for. So uh, verse 5 
Simeon and Levi, our brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So let me ask you this. We're, you know, what's the thing here? Basically showing that they're just going to be scattered in Israel. Basically, what I think we're seeing here is that they're, they weren't really going to excel as a people and as a tribe. And really, nothing was going to come from them either. Is basically what we're seeing. They have no great future coming out of them. There's nothing great coming out of Reuben. And there's nothing great coming out of Simeon and Levi. The hope for Israel is not in Reuben. It's not in Simeon. It's not in Levi because these are bad guys. So now let's look for, uh, and, and, you know, and just a kind of a side note here too. The people of Shechem, were they a godly people? No, they were a wicked people, weren't they? But you know what? Their cruelty was cursed, wasn't it? And you know what? Just because somebody's lost, doesn't mean you get to treat them like garbage, folks. Just because somebody's got problems doesn't mean you get to treat them like garbage. Cruelty is always wrong. This little side sermon right there for you. Be nice to people, all right? It's not that hard. But um, so re- nothing really that prophetic here, except that just nothing's coming from these guys. So verse 8, look what it says. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. He's been going from oldest to youngest. And now we're at number four at Judah. Thou art he whom thy brethren will praise. It looks like something is coming good for the brethren too. Because the brethren are praising him. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. So this is something that, notice what he's talking about here, has to do with all the tribes. Hey, your brothers are going to praise you. Your brothers, they're going to bow down before you. Judah is the one that we've been seeing taking the lead in the last several chapters. And more than likely, he was the one, it it appears from looking at uh, just the way things were playing out, that he was chosen by his father to lead his brethren. Jacob probably would have put Joseph in charge, but he thought Joseph was dead. And so Reuben had been leading things. And then even during this time, I think Judah's kind of in charge because Joseph is taking care of things in Egypt. But Judah, he was the leader of Israel during that time, and of the other tribes and of his brethren. So, um, this, so this verse is showing, though, that Judah would be the one to lead the other tribes. Jacob, the man in charge. Because these blessings that they would do, the reason they were so important, it wasn't so much because of the mystical power that came from the laying on of the hands and the blessing that they would put on them, but because of the authority that came with it. This was kind of like the reading of the will. Today in our culture, we read a will after a person's dead, but that will is basically law, isn't it? And during this time, when the father would do these blessings and pronounce these things on their sons, that was law. And so whatever Jacob said, you guys get, that was what they get. So this was a very important thing. And Jacob, the leader of Israel, he put Judah in charge. So Judah, in reality, was supposed to be the leader. Now, it's a long time before we ever really see him taking a lead because if you remember, they get stuck in Egypt for four, you know, for 100 years. And so it was a long time before Judah takes over. It wasn't until David comes along. But this verse is showing Judah would be the one to lead the other tribes. 
And it was the tribe of Judah that led in their greatest battles. It says in verse 9, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? And I think Jacob here, he's getting very poetic about the might of Judah. He would be strong, he would be mighty. I believe that's why we refer to Jesus often as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We see that in the Bible. He is that, he, he's, Jesus is who Jacob is talking about here. Okay, because again, it's not about the Jews, it's about Jesus. Stop replacing Jesus with the Jews. You've got to get over that. So it says, uh, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And I believe that term Shiloh, it means tranquil. I believe it's a, it's a reference to the Messiah. I think most people would agree this is a reference to the Messiah. And he's basically telling Israel, when he's telling them what's going to befall them in the last days, he's basically telling them these promises, that kingdom, that Messiah, that one that we're looking for, he's coming from Judah. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be what is going to come on the last days for you. That Messiah is going to come through Judah. And would we not agree that that was fulfilled when Jesus Christ came to earth? Jesus Christ is the king, isn't he? Now, right now, the kingdom's spiritual. Right now, it's not a physical kingdom, but when he returns, it will be a physical thing. We believe in a literal, physical, visible return of Jesus Christ, and he will establish his kingdom. And if Jesus is the one ruling, Jesus, the one who was born of a virgin, the one who descended from Judah, then guess who is ruling the world during that time? Judah. Judah is the one leading, or the, the tribe of Judah, just like was prophesied and was promised, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. I think that's a reference, too, to the rapture. You know, I beseech you by the coming of our Lord and by our gathering together unto him. Oh, well, we can't tie those things together because then we've got the same rapture for us as for the Jews. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that's just how it is. And I, and I hate to prove that with the scriptures, but uh, that's just what we do here. So he's basically prophesying that Jude, Judah will be in charge until the coming of the Messiah. You say, well, why isn't Judah in charge now? Well, Jesus is in charge right now. But again, it's a spiritual kingdom. And let me ask you, where's the physical line of Judah? Nobody knows. You know why? Because they don't matter. After Jesus, it didn't matter anymore. So stop looking to figure out you know, who they are today. Doesn't, they're irrelevant. It doesn't matter. There's only one tribe that matters right now, and it's Christ. How do you get on that tribe? You get saved. You believe on Christ, and then you're, then you're good to go. And look what it says in verse 11. Binding his foal under the vine, and his ass is coal under the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. And, you know, it's hard to look at this and not think this could be some kind of reference to Armageddon where he treadeth the winepress in the fierceness of wrath. Uh, it could have something to do with that. But I think, too, it could just be a reference to the prosperity and the peace that will come when the Messiah comes to this earth. We see in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the kingdom of Jesus Christ, of his increase, there will be no end. I mean, and so what I believe when it's talking about him, his eyes being red with, uh, with wine and his teeth white with milk, it's just a reference to just the prosperity. When Jesus Christ is on this earth, we will have everything that we need. We will always have everything that we need. And the peace that comes from his kingdom will never end. And I say, hallelujah. Is that not what Israel's been looking for? Is that not what they were wanting to establish? Folks, that was why God chose Abraham. You need to ask people sometimes. They're all looking for something for the Jews over there today. What was the point of God giving them a land? What was the point of God giving them a, doing all these things that he gave them? It was to establish a kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of prosperity. And folks, that is only going to ever be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That is where it's going to come from. This is what they were looking for. This is what they were wanting to establish. And so this prophecy that Jacob is doing, he, uh, it's, it's for all of them. Because what they were looking for, what they were waiting for, it's being narrowed down now to it's coming from Judah. It's coming from his line. And this is good news for everybody. This isn't just good news for Israel. It's good news for everybody. What did the angel say when Jesus was born? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Folks, this isn't just good news for the Jews. This is good news for everybody. Thank, thank God for that. So, um, so when it comes to the blessing on Judah, there are clearly things to come, but those things will all be fulfilled with Jesus Christ. There is not one thing that I see here in Genesis chapter 49 that has me looking for any people from the tribe of Judah on earth today. You know what it has me doing? It has me looking for Jesus Christ. That is where it's going to be fulfilled. Every good thing prophesied for Israel in this chapter, it is all going to be fulfilled through Judah's line, through Jesus Christ. And it's coming in the millennium. So let's go ahead now as he goes down uh, through the rest of these so we can kind of have some understanding of what these verses are saying. He says in verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. What is this? This is Jacob. This isn't prophetic so much as as much as him just saying, this is where your inheritance is going to be. And you know what? uh, Zebulun's inheritance was by the sea. So that's done. Verse 10, uh, or Joshua 19.10 says, And the third lot came for the children of Zebulun, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was unto Zared, and their border went up toward the sea. And Maralah that reached unto Davisheth and reached to the river that is before Jotnim. Isn't that interesting? They cast lots to see who is going to get what land. And you know what? Zebulun got the land that Jacob prophesied that he would get. Just showing that this was of God, this prophecy that's going on. So uh, verse 14 says, And Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. And so just like the things came to pass with Zebulun, this probably is something that came to pass during the Old Testament. I'm not going to pretend I know exactly what this is talking about, but I believe all these things are just references to kind of some things that were going to happen with their tribes and what was going to uh, take place. 
And, um, you know, but as far as all the details, I'm not going to pretend I know for sure what that is. But this one's interesting because on Sunday night, we talked about the tribe of Dan. Remember that? We talked about the tribe of Dan, how they're not mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. And I gave some opinions on why that was. And I think I might have uncovered a little more about this. But look what it says in verse 16. It says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent, by the way, and an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. So some possibilities, this is what I think this is referring to here, is that one, there was a great deliverer and a great judge that came from the tribe of Dan. Does anybody know who that is? Samson. Samson was a Danite. He was, he was from that tribe, Judges 13, 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them in the hands of the Philistines 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and Baranot. And it goes on to talk about Samson. So I think this is prophetic that a great leader, a great judge, was going to come from the tribe of Dan, and I believe that that was fulfilled in Samson. But here's the thing with Samson. Samson had some pretty bad issues, didn't he? Now, God used him. But you know, after Samson too, the Danites were a very wicked tribe that we see in the book of Judges. We don't have time to go through it. Um, but in Judges chapter 18, Dan was a very wicked tribe. I preached about this, uh, this story a while back. I don't, I, I might, hopefully I get all the details right on this. We don't have time to go through Judges 18, but this is the story where they basically bought off a Levite. There was the man, Micah, who had an image and a teraphim and all these things, and he basically hired a Levite to be a priest for him, which was not right, okay? And then later, the Danites come along, and then they tell this man, they buy him off. They tell him, hey, why do you want to be a priest for just one man when you can be a priest for a whole tribe? Because the Danites were kind of separated from Israel because of how wicked they were being. And they decided, we're just going to get our own priest. And so they basically buy off Micah. And you know what they did? They stole Micah's image and they set it up. They were very idolatrous. The tribe of Dan was very wicked and that we see in, in Judges chapter 18. And it could very well be that when that, in that story, when that took place, that was a great rejection of God. And that could be when basically God was finished with Dan. I don't know, but um, there, there's not a whole lot in the Bible about the Danites, except for in the book of Judges, and it's all bad. It's all bad. And, so it, and what they did, it was very wrong. It was very sneaky. They were kind of like a snake along the way, an adder in the path that bites the horse heels. And so the rider falls backward. I mean, it, I, I think it was prophetic about what we see in the book of Judges. So um, I could be wrong, but uh, there might even be a lot more to that. So uh, if you guys want get, to you know, get bored sometimes, study that out and see if, uh, see if I'm right or wrong. And I'd be interested in hearing what you have to say. But just, just my thoughts and my opinion on that. But I, I do think that was a very wicked thing that God did not forget. But verse 20. Um, oh, I lost my spot. Uh, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, 
and he shall yield royal dainties. Should we be looking forward to something with that, with Asher? Is, or is that just probably showing his possession would be good? You're going to get a good possession. You're going to get a good uh, chunk of land when it all goes down. Um, in Deuteronomy 33:24 says, And of Asher he said, Let Asher be blessed with children, and let him be acceptable to his brethren, and let him dip his foot in oil. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And so I think when he's talking about him dipping his foot in oil, just showing the prosperity that he would have, and I do. I think he got good land, just like his father prophesied uh, in Genesis 49. So verse 21, Naphtali is a hind let loose, he giveth goodly words. And this could just be showing that you know he would be wild and free, but good. Uh, I don't know for sure. Uh, verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. And I believe this is showing that God was going to bless his inheritance too, and that it would be very fruitful. And, you know, in Joseph, remember, he got a double portion, uh, and their uh, land areas they got were some of the, uh, the Manasseh and Ephraim were some of the larger land areas that God gave them because they were a large, Manasseh especially, was a very large tribe. God blessed them uh, very much. And it says, the archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And I think this is a reference to what his brothers did to him. His, you know, the brothers, the other tribes, they tried to take him down, but God protected him, and Joseph was still going to be fruitful, and he did. He got a double portion. He got the most land. And so uh, that happened. Verse 27, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night, he shall divide the spoil. And I think this is showing he would just be victorious in battle. And so, it says in verse 28, these are, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is that their father spake unto them and blessed them, everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. And so, in reality, there's nothing that we should be looking for to be fulfilled in the future with any of these tribes except for the tribe of Judah. But at the same time, we are looking for something to be fulfilled for all of them, but it will all come through Judah. So what we're seeing in this prophecy here is not something that specifically that we're supposed to be looking for for each of the 12 tribes to come in the future. What we're seeing is ultimately Jacob is prophesying where or who the kingdom is going to be established through. All those promises that God had given them of a kingdom, of a country, he is telling them what you are looking for, what's going to be a blessing for all of you, it's going to come from Judah. But at the same, And so that, that applies to all of the tribes. And then within that prophecy, as he's blessing all of them, he gives specific prophecies for each of those tribes that all have been fulfilled and have all taken place. So in reality, when I look at Genesis 49, the only thing I'm looking for in the future is Jesus. I'm looking, I'm looking for Jesus, and when Jesus Christ returns, that is the prophecy of Judah being fulfilled, which is going to be a blessing to all the other 12 tribes, because they will be resurrected at that point, and they will get to experience all these things that God promised them. And so, uh, verse 29 says, And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, 
which is before Mamre and the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. So the three main patriarchs and their wives are all buried there. And interestingly enough, even though Rachel was the favorite wife, Leah was the one that was buried there. And I don't think that was a coincidence. I think she was too because of the fact that she was the mother of Judah. And so Abraham and Sarah, not Hagar, you know, Isaac and Rebekah, these are all the ones that Jesus came through. Because again, this is all about Jesus. And it was very important to them to be buried in these places. You know why? Because these promises that God gave were given specifically to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to the 12 tribes. And Joseph said, when you all leave, you carry my bones out and you bury them too. You know why? Because they fully expected to be resurrected one of these days and receive what God had promised them. The people that God is going to fulfill the promises of Israel to are them, a people from the past, not a people from the future, a people from the past. That's what we've got to understand. And the Bible's very clear about that. These promises were for them. So verse 32 says, The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. When Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet, into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. And so notice when Jacob died physically that he wasn't finished. He just went on to be somewhere else. He was gathered unto his people. They didn't say he was just dead. It says he was gathered unto his people. And I think that's why Jesus said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And Jacob went with his people. Who were his people? Those who were of faith. His fathers, Isaac and Abraham, and the sons of Seth began to call on the Lord in those days. All, all of those. So the prophecies of Genesis 48 and 49, they are basically fulfilled except for what is to come specifically with Judah, with, which is all fulfilled through Jesus Christ in the millennium. Anything that needs to be fulfilled with Israel, just mark this down. It will be fulfilled with the very people that these were all about. The very people that God promised them to. Not not some people from today. People from the past. Because they will resurrect. That's when these Jesus was very clear. He told the twelve disciples, You're going to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. When? In the regeneration. Why did it have to be then? Because it has to be when they come back from the dead. Because it wasn't going to happen anytime soon. And it's just, it blows my mind that people that, you know, they'll look at us because of what we believe about the Jews and like, you think God broke his promises. No, I don't. I believe in a resurrection. I believe all those people are going to get what God promised them. But who are these people you're talking about today? That don't even know what tribe they're from. They don't even know for sure if they're Jews. We've got, we've got to take the Bible literal and they don't do it. They accuse us of trying to spiritualize everything. We are the ones taking the Bible literal and actually can be consistent across the board. And so anything that needs to be fulfilled, it will be taken care of. Those who come back in the resurrection, not imposters claiming to be of Israel today. And, uh, you know, 
one of the many, many things that I need to uh, really do some in-depth study on that I hope to get to one of these days is the millennium. The millennium is a, is a deep subject, that there's a lot more that we don't know than what we do know. But at, at the end of the day, I'm not real worried about what I don't know about that, because about what needs to be fulfilled. And I, I got to go back in the Old Testament and find every prophecy that's left to be fulfilled, because if I don't know what it is, I can't remind Jesus of what it is. You know, when the millennium is to make sure he gets it done. No, he knows what it is and he's going to get it all done. You know, so when it comes to the millennium, when that is all going down, at that point, I'm going to be glorified at that point. So I'm not super worried about it. People disagree with me about things in the millennium and how that plays out. I really don't care. I'm more worried about right now. I'm more worried about the last days because that's what I live in. You know, I'm more worried because I'm more worried about the things that were promised to come in the last days, like the tribulation. Those are the things I'm paying attention to. Those are the prophecies I really get involved in because I might actually have to deal with those in this flesh. And so I need to do everything I can to prepare myself. Whatever has to take place in the millennium, I'll be glorified at that point and I'll do just fine when I've got my new body, when I've got a body like Jesus Christ. And I'm looking forward to that day. So hopefully this makes Genesis 49 very clear for you. So one more week and we will have made it through the entire book of Genesis. I hope this will help. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word, dear God. I just pray you'll uh, help us to uh, just to take the time to study these things, your word, Lord. There's so many amazing truths and promises that you've given. Uh, help us not just to skip over these things, but help us to just try to have a clear understanding so we can understand your word better and make sure we rightly divide it. In your name we pray. Amen.